We're going to, this morning, hear from the, uh, the next readings and the lectionary uh, for the season of Advent, um, but we also today are going to ordain, um, ordain an officer, Jason Cover, as an elder, and then install several more elders and deacons that were voted upon by the congregation. So we're going to do that when all of our kids are back here so they can know who their elders and deacons are. Um, and obviously, we have a Christmas party and a Christmas pageant to attend to later, later today. So today is a feast for us. Recognizing that, I will preach hmm. <laughs> quicker, quicker. We're aiming for quicker. Um, <clears throat> I'll do my best. Uh, we've already read two of our passages for today. Uh, the call to worship was the Magnificat, uh, Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. And then we read Isaiah chapter 35, um, prophesying about the, the great reversal in history when God will make a way, the way of holiness for his people to travel to Zion. Um, now we're going to read from James's epistle. So James chapter 5, verse 7 through 10. And then we'll be in the Gospel of Matthew. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the example of the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ... He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women... There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would illuminate our hearts through this word. We pray that we would hear the words of the prophets, the apostles, the words of the gospel. And that we would have our hearts awakened to the never-changing nature of your love. We pray, Father, that our ears would be opened, our hearts would be attuned to yours. 
Shape us and make us to be more like you, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you listen carefully uh, to these scriptures, um, you'll see some a common theme in, in all of them. And honestly, uh, I, I occasionally dip in and out of the lectionary to, to use a lectionary to preach because it's a good discipline for me and for us together. Um, lection, an electionary way of, of preaching is uh, something the church has done for a long time. Um, our tradition usually focuses more on preaching our way through one book at a time. But a lectionary helps us to, to see that the words of the gospel, um, the words of scripture, through all of its various genres and at various times in history, actually speak in full concert with one another. So if you, um, if you don't usually read in the Old Testament, the lectionary will make you read in the Old Testament and hear how it speaks in concert with the rest of Scripture. And uh, sometimes reading the lectionary, preaching from the lectionary, is really difficult. To, for this selection of passages today, I had to write them all in columns, and, and write down the themes that I saw in the four before I could even clearly discern why the heck these four got put together. I didn't understand what was going on. But if you look at each of these four passages, there are themes zeroed in on on each of them. And Mary's song is the first clue to us about what these scriptures will say to us. Mary's song is for us uh, a word to us, the church, of what God is about to do in this baby that she's carrying in the womb. And her song is full of this expectation that God is going to reverse the way of things. That she is saying over her, her son that is in her womb and in through Scripture to us, the church, that God, through this about to be born king that's in her womb is going to do something that upends the normal way of things. And this is actually what all the scriptures today are having us zero in on is that God is going to do something that will be miraculous in nature and reverses the course of human history. Isaiah chapter 35, when we heard that in the Advent reading, the focus is on this dramatic turn in circumstance that the wilderness is barren, there is desert, and then when God does what he's going to do, it will suddenly spring into life as this garden. And before the, the way was unruly and dangerous, God will plow forward a highway that will be safe to travel. And James speaks to us, a word to us, to patiently endure what is coming ahead in expectation that God will fulfill His promise to His people. And through these examples is this invitation to look forward with expectation, with, with a kind of certainty not grounded in circumstance, but instead based on the evidence of what Jesus has already done an indication of what he will finish and continue to do. It is helpful for us, this passage in Matthew chapter 11, to hear this person, this great prophet, John the Baptist, ask the question, is this really the one? 
Because the previous time that we hear John's voice in the gospel is John saying, this is the one. And now by Matthew 11, when he is in prison, when he is suffering, he needs to ask the question of Jesus again. Are you the one? Like, can we be sure about this? Because, you know, the prison thing is not so great. Are my hopes fixed on the right source? Are my hopes fixed on the right person? Or am I basically suffering in jail for no reason? And Jesus' response is to point to the kinds of things that Isaiah prophesied about. He says, go and tell John what you see. The, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the poor are receiving the good news. And this is exactly what Isaiah said would happen when the day of the Lord comes. And the disciples go back. And Jesus points to John and says, this guy is a big deal. He's really important. He is a prophet. A prophet like James has told us to be like. And he says, but in the kingdom of heaven, the least is greater than him. Because the kingdom changes everything. The kingdom of God changes everything and reverses the course of human history. And we are ourselves invited to be a people who have our hopes anchored in the kingdom. We are invited to be a kingdom people who do not see the circumstances of the world, who do not, like John the Baptist was doing, look at the, the circumstances that we live in and begin to be deceived that, that maybe he is not the one or maybe our hopes are going to come short. But instead, we are called to look on Jesus, to see the signs of his coming, and to long for the day when the fullness of his coming will be before us. What I, what I love about the passage in Isaiah 35, what immediately grabbed my attention um, is these, this, this plea to the people who are anxious and feeble-hearted. Because when I hear those words, I say, that's me. He's talking about me. In Isaiah 35, verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. And then the reason why they should be strong and fear not is so other than what I expect. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And each of these passages is, uh, is a per kind of person, a, a paragon, an emblem of waiting. And, and for James, he gives the example of the farmer. He says, there's wait, wait like a farmer, trusting that the seed is in the ground, but that the early rain that will cause the seed to begin to germinate and the latter rain that will cause the harvest to fully come into harvest... The, the rains will come in. The fruit will come in. You can trust, as a farmer does, every year that this thing will work. And he says, look to the prophets, how they also spoke the word of God, did not see the fulfillment of their word, but waited in hope. Look to John the Baptist. Look to John the Baptist. And you can't help but look to John the Baptist and read Isaiah 35 and say, even he was one 
with feeble hands and an anxious heart. And in the word that Isaiah gives to all those who are waiting, the community of the waiting, this Advent community that we are, fear not, be not afraid. Your God will come with vengeance. And this is for us where we have to have our ear tuned to the, to the song of Scripture and to listen carefully, to listen clearly. In this Advent season, we are invited to examine the darkness of the world. Seasons of celebration in the church are preceded by seasons of examination. Lent precedes Easter. Advent precedes Christmas. Because we are a people, above all else, who should be honest about the world. And we use the season of Advent together to look at the darkness and to name it. Not to pretend that it rules the world, not to stoke up fear in our hearts, but to do what the rest of the world is constantly telling us not to do. Our world is a world of distraction, constructed to always be looking on the surface of things, to perpetually have us flitting from thing to thing, constructing us to be hummingbirds of attention, barely being able to zero in and focus for more than three seconds at a time. But Advent is a season of contemplation and of looking deeply. And we are called in this season by the church to name what the darkness is, to see our many sorrows, Disease, suffering, loneliness, loss, death, the sin that so easily entangles us. That is deep, dark stuff. We do this for a number of reasons. At a just sort of basic communal level, it helps us as a people to recognize that there are many amongst us who are suffering alone and we should not forget our brother and sister. There are many of us who bear up under those sorrows all the time and they don't need Advent to remember the darkness in the world. They are dwelling in many ways in the darkness. And many of us have lives that are either too busy or too good to pay attention to that. And Advent demands that we pay attention And we hook arms with our brother and our sister. And we say that your sorrows are mine. Your suffering is mine. And I will not let you do this alone. But more than that, the season of Advent and this looking at the darkness enables enables us to name very clearly what we are waiting on God for. We are waiting for the elimination of the presence of evil in this world. We are waiting for the conquest of the powers of sin and death. We are waiting for the serpent to be banished from the garden forever. And in scriptural language, in Isaiah's language, what we are waiting for is for the God of Israel to come and to come with vengeance.
when we name the darkness, when we look at the way that the world is disordered, when we look at the before picture of Mary's song and see how the the strong crush the weak, how other kings occupy thrones that are not meant to be theirs, and the poor are forgotten, and the suffering is rampant. We are meant to name those things and to look forward to the day when God will come in justice and vengeance and flip the story and trample out these things. So me, I can look at and be honest. I'm anxious. I feel like I have weak knees, weak hands, barely stumbling along forward down this rock-strewn path. I'm one of the ones that Isaiah is talking about. When John in in Matthew chapter 11 is saying, are we sure he's the one? I am like John. I am like him. And I am like every other waiter in the history of Christian thought. Is this going to work out? Because the whole world is telling me, this is all there is. Seize the day. Enjoy the moment. The moment is all you have. This is that I see is all that will ever be. And Christian hope says this is a lie. This is not all that will ever be. The thing that is in my gut that keeps me stumbling forward in longing is telling me the truth that though I can barely keep my feet Though I feel like the fool, God will come and He will set the world right. And even for an anxious one like me, He will deliver me. He will not let the world stay the way that it is. Christian hope is what you are called here every week to remember. That our hope is not of this world. Our hope is greater than the world. Jesus tells his disciples very clearly, you will suffer. You will suffer. But, beloved, I have overcome the world. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And for us who, in some ways, gather around and are staring at the spot where it seems like Jesus has ascended into the heavens forever and seemingly forever disappeared, we must attend to the voice of the prophets, of the angels, and hear the reminder, but he is coming back the same way that you have seen him leave. You who are anxious and feeble-hearted, your God will return. He will have his vengeance and wrath. And you don't have to be afraid of that day. In Isaiah 35, the end of this passage, he says, the ransomed ones, the redeemed, they will walk a straight path to Zion. And Jesus has very clearly named the way that we will walk to Zion. It's him. Jesus has said, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
So you and I, when we are naming the darkness and seeing everything that fractures around us, seeing evidences in our bodies and our hearts and in the structures of the world around us, all of this very present evil, and we are anxious and concerned and unsure. We, we can take heart because the God of Israel will finish what he has started. And we can take heart because we know with sureness, with peace, with confidence, that not because of our own proficiency, but because of Jesus, we are on the right side of things. We do not have to look forward to the day of the judgment of vengeance and of wrath and be tossed about, gosh, I hope I'm good enough. I hope that I believe enough. I hope that I feel sure enough. Jesus has says, not only is he the judge, but he is the way upon which our feet will be set. And we will not go astray from there. My, my plea to us this morning is to, one, acknowledge the darkness that we live in, Do not let the agenda of this world distract you from it. In this season of Advent, look it in the eye and name it. Do not let it linger in the corners of your heart. Find the the beasts of sin that prowl around in the corners of your heart and shine a light on it. Look at the way the world is not working as it should. Name the darkness. But two, do not believe the lie of this world, that all there is is what we see, and that all all that ever will be is what we know now. Christian hope looks on the other side of the great resizing of everything, the right-sizing of things, the reversal of what we know, and the full coming, the advent of God's kingdom that will make the way plain and will set everything right. People of God, this pink candle is meant to represent joy. Scripture is very clear. You are not allowed to have any joy less than God himself. You are not allowed to put any of your hope outside of his hands. Scripture is telling us with a full united voice the great joy of the people of God is God himself and it is a joy that is unquenchable it is sure and it will reshape the world as we know it. We are the people who sit and wait with expectation and we wait in confidence that he is the one. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we are amongst the people surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have looked to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. What you have started, you will complete. And Lord God, we pray that you will make us a people of hope. I pray, God, that you will cast down and crush the idols that we have clung to, that we have foolishly poured our hearts into, 
And Father, we pray that you will make us a people of longing, that we would be a people who have a taste in our mouths, a a taste of hunger, the taste that comes right before you eat dinner at the end of a long day. We pray, God, that we would have that sense spiritually for all of our days. Help us not to be distracted and easily satisfied by what is fleeting and passing. But instead, let our hopes be set on you. You never fail. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Go back and bring them here quickly. If you could, do it quickly.